0: And I want to run through these three verses of passages of scripture with you. And I want to talk to you about our salvation. And I want to talk to you about the grace of God. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. God has made a commitment throughout the Bible that I will never leave you or forsake you. I will not abandon you. And y'all, 2,000 years ago, God proved that. God did something extraordinary. He came into this world born of a virgin. And I just think of Jesus Christ coming into this earth, giving us the love of his Father, expressing to us the heart of his Father, that he loves us and he wants us to be with him. He wants to forgive our sins. And then I think about Jesus Christ going to a cross. And what that means to me is this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would rather... Down a cross before he would let you die in your sins. That Jesus Christ would rather give his life in agony and suffering rather than watch you suffer eternally. And I just think that is an incredible testimony of God. There's a lot of suffering and pain in the world that I really don't understand. And I couldn't give the explanation to a lot of the things that people suffer. And how is God in this? Where's the justice of God in that? And I, I wouldn't necessarily have an answer to all of that. But I do know this, that God did not stand aloof to our suffering, but he entered into it. And he became a man. And he suffered rejection. And he suffered scorn. And physical pain and death Deprivation and rejection and abuse of every particular kind. And He died for us, He really did. And so God came into this world that is filled with agony and corruption in order to save us and in order to express His love to us. And I just want you to know that this morning, beloved, that God does love you. He loves you with an everlasting love. But just because God loves the whole world, it doesn't mean the whole world is going to be saved. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that there are more people that go to hell than there are that go to heaven. Jesus even said in, in character of that passage of those that go to heaven, few there are that find it. Few But many are those that take the broad way that looks right, but it leads to destruction. And few take this narrow way that leads to everlasting life. And so you're very blessed and you're very privileged to be able to sit here this morning and be able to examine your own heart and your own faith. And I would ask you to do that today. I would pray that you would just really open up your Bible with me today and, and let it be as though you were sitting there with your Bible open and you would just let God speak to you. Not that I'm God, but let God speak to you because I believe God can touch your heart and God can express to you his love and his mercy for your life. And so I thank God that there is a God in heaven who will not abandon us or forsake us. I'm very thankful that there's a God in heaven who would die for me on a cross before he would let me die in my sins and go to hell. I thank God there's a God who wants to forgive anyone who will repent and turn to him. That no one will be rejected who turns to him for forgiveness. God will accept anyone who comes to him through his son Jesus Christ. There's not a person in this room that's too bad, too far gone, too corrupt, too dark, that has crossed the line with God. That cannot come back to God. God has come after you. And there's hope for every one of us. And time is running out guys. And, and, and not even necessarily with the coming of the Lord. Though I believe it is soon. But time is running out for your own life. I mean, you can feel the age and the corruption of life and everything. You can tell your best days, maybe as you would say, the length of your days are behind you and the, the shortage of your days are before you and you know you only have a short time and no man knows what's going to happen tomorrow. So today is the day of salvation. That is it. Today is the, not that the, today is not the day of judgment, but today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of God's mercy. Today is the day of God's grace and life to you. And I just pray that you will follow with me and understand these things. So in Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to see three sections of this. You're going to find, first of all, the problem. And then I want to show you the solution. And so if you will look at this with me, verses 1 through 3 is the problem. And you, hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins... Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. You see that there's no middle ground, there's no gray area. A man's not just saying, well, you know, I'm not following God, but I'm not following the devil either. I'm just kind of living my own life. Well, according to the Bible, that's not true. That might be your truth, but it's not God's truth. And and, and I, respectfully, your truth is wrong. All right. The Bible tells us right here in chapter 2, verse 2, that we walked according to the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan. And the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. There is a spirit that is working in people's lives. There is a spirit that is working in those that do not believe and walk with Jesus Christ. Now the Bible says in verse 3, we also, all of us also had our lifestyle in times past in the lust of our flesh Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And now listen to this. We were by nature the children of wrath even as others. We were by nature. Do you understand this? Paul's not using sin the way we use sin. Because a lot of times when we talk about sin, we're kind of talking about, oh, I messed up, you know. Oh, good night. I, I, I did it again, and I didn't want to do it again. Or we might say, oh, I sinned. I sinned against God, or I sinned against my family, or I sinned. I hope nobody finds out about it. That's not the kind of sinning that Paul is talking about right here. What Paul is talking about right here is, is the kind of iniquity that lives within people who have not been rescued by Jesus Christ. And they need a rescue they 're in bondage they're in darkness they're they're being led by this God of this world who is Satan and there is an actual spirit that is working within them that keeps them from coming to Jesus Christ and it does keep you from coming to Jesus Christ but the good news is Jesus has come to you and Jesus wants to break the power of that enemy he wants to break the power of that spirit and he wants to set you free and he wants to break Bring you out of bondage and bring you into liberty and bring you into life. People's lives are being destroyed by the devil. Suicide is increasing. There's abuse and domestic violence in our homes. There is fear everywhere. Alcoholism, drug addiction, men and women addicted to pornography. There are so many perversions because the God of this world is at work and there's less and less resistance from the culture and from humanity. And the spirit of that is working. And so when Paul says... That we all had our lifestyle in that. It wasn't that, oh my gosh, I slipped up. Or, oh my gosh, I messed up. But it was, I was by nature an enemy of God. I mean, I was ruthless against Him. I wanted to do it my way. And how dare God interfere? And how dare these Christians come and preach to me? And how dare somebody come and tell me I'm a sinner? I'm better than other And all these things, you know. And and that was our problem because we loved this. We loved this sin. We loved this life. I'd come to Jesus, but I ain't giving up my Budweiser. I'd come to Jesus, but I'm not giving up my cigarettes. I'd come to Jesus, but I'm not giving up my playing around. And 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 it's kind of like that attitude, which is the lie of the devil. You can't give those things up any more than you can practice those things. The. Devil, the spirit of this world is working in you, crushing your life and corrupting your life. And you're not free. It is freedom that Jesus Christ wants to give you. It's not a Budweiser that's keeping you from Jesus. It's the lust of the flesh. It's loving it. It's loving the darkness and hating God. And I love my sin and I want my sin and I don't want God. That's the kind of sin Paul's talking about. In Ephesians chapter 2. And we're dead in it. And, and, and what it means that we're dead in it is. This is the only thing we know. We can't see anything else. It's like if you went to somebody's funeral and you're, you're, you're there with a beloved one who's passed away and you go and your, their, their casket is there and it's open and you're going by to pay your respects and you see the shell of that person that you love but you say they're dead and why do you say that they're dead? And, and there's something inside of you that says they're somewhere. We all, people say it in every funeral. They're in a better place, you know, and people say that all the time. And so you say that they're dead but you know that they're alive somewhere. What are we saying? And we're saying they have ceased to exist in this world. They've ceased to exist in this realm. They can't hear me. They can't touch me. They can't talk to me. They can't feel me. They're not aware that I'm around them. And that's what it is to be spiritually dead in our sins and our iniquities. God is there, but we don't know it. God is touching us, but we don't feel him. And God is speaking to us, but we don't hear him. And that is our problem. And we don't understand our bondage. We don't understand our oppression. Because this is all we know. And we're dead to anything else. We're dead to even what freedom could mean. We don't even understand that. We see Christians but they confuse us. Maybe you come into a church like this today. And you're like absolutely uncomfortable. Because I'm uncomfortable maybe in the presence of God. Because it's something that I'm dead to. I don't understand it. You know, I understand LSU football, LSU failure, LSU whatever. I understand that, you know. But I don't understand what you guys are doing in here. I don't understand why people are in there and and hollering and everything like that. But I can understand people hollering at a football game, you know. And so we don't understand it because we're dead to it. And then the solution is verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins. He's quickened us together with Christ, and this is beautiful, by grace you are saved. So we're dead in our sins, but God still wants to give you life. You're his enemy and you despise him. And maybe you don't say, well, I despise God. Maybe you would never say that. But you do want to keep God at an arm's length, if not further. And this God that you don't want really in your life is willing to come and give you life by grace. My God. And he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. That's the solution. That is the solution. The problem is verses 1 through 3. And the solution is verses 5 through 7. And the reason there's a solution is because of verse 4. But God... You're dead in your sins. You're dead in your iniquities. There's a spirit that is in this world that is operating in you. You're being led by the God of this world who is Satan. Your life is being destroyed. There's destruction everywhere. You're full of pain. You're full of abuse. You're full of rejection. You're full of heartache. You're, full, you're, just, you're just full of all types of pains and problems in your life. But God. But God. Your, your story doesn't have to end there. But God. Who is It's not what he's becoming. It's not something that he's forced to do. It's not something that he is just like unreluctantly having to do. No, this is like spring loaded in God. Just comes out, you know. But God, who is, listen to this, rich in mercy. Oh my God, isn't that wonderful? You don't have to receive him. But that is wonderful of God. He is rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us. And that's the reason there's a solution for your life. Because this God of great mercy and great love wanted to do something about it and make you no longer an enemy, but a beloved son, a beloved daughter in his life. And he undertakes it all. And I think about this God who is rich in mercy and great love, and you begin to say, what is that? What is great mercy? What is this rich mercy, this great love? What does that even look alike? Look like? Well, it became a man. The mercy of God and the love of God appeared among us, and it was Jesus. And you see God's mercy and you see God's love with the broken people of this world. You see this mercy and this love in God who's, who's not going after those people who have attained to such great things in life and religion and, and, and doctorates and, and Pharisees and Sadducees. But Jesus said, I have come for the sick. And I've come for the broken, and I've come for the hurting, and I've come for those whose hearts are broken. And I've come to those who are poor and those who are needy, and they have no hope and they have no foot to stand on. I've come for them, and I've come for those that have been abused and those that have been molested and those that have been thrown to the side. This is what the mercy and the great love of God looks like. It looks like Jesus. And the evidence of God's mercy is not your life. And that's where the devil will trip you up. But that is not the evidence of God's mercy. Not your life. Not your abuse. Not your rejection. Not the fact that they didn't pick me. The church offended me. Religious people hurt me. Life has hurt me. Life has run over me. I've lost a loved one to cancer. I've lost this. I've lost that. This is my life. How can there be a God of mercy in my life? When this has been. No, the evidence of God's mercy is not your life. It's not your rejections. It's not your betrayals. It's not your abuses. It's not your pain. The evidence of God's mercy is his rejection. And his pain. And his abuse. To save you from it. And to heal you from it. Because if he had not come to be abused. And to be rejected. And to be beaten. And to suffer pain. And to suffer abuse. If he did not come to do that. You would never have a solution. And that's what mercy looks like. And that's what grace looks like. It looks like Jesus. And then this is beautiful. I want you to see this in verse 7. It says that in the ages to come, what does God want to do with your new life? Who wouldn't want this? God wants to show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You know, I want to save you. And you know what I want to do with you for the rest of eternity? I want to demonstrate to you and through you the riches of my grace and my kindness to you. I just want it poured out on you forever. No, God, I I just, I don't want that. And then notice verse 8 for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You can't save yourself. Don't bring the Budweiser, the cigarettes, the pornography, the playing around. Don't bring all of these things you say that you enjoy up here on the table. I am the one who saves you, and not by your works, and not by your ability to sacrifice something, and not by your ability to quit something. I save you by grace, through faith. I do that. I deliver you, I change you, I free you, I give you life. Praise God, I'd be a hopeless case if it counted on me. Not of works, verse 9, not of works lest any man should boast. Now this is beautiful, verse 10, we are his workmanship. Isn't that great? Not the churches, not your counselors, not your Bible study teacher. You're his workmanship. He might use the church and use a pastor and use a counselor. But you're his and you're created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Beautiful, beautiful. I want that. God, I want that. I want that saved life. I want that grace, I want that faith, I want to know your grace and your kindness toward me, I want to be your workmanship, and that, that, that becomes the cry of my heart, and I believe God answers it, I believe he would do the same for you if you cried that from your heart, I want that God Maybe not everything you've ever heard growing up or whatever people, but right there. Would you say to God, you're reading in Ephesians 2, 4 through 8 or 4 through 10. Would you say, not me, God, I don't want that. And you can say that to God. Be careful because you can. And you have to say something, yes or no, now because now you've you've been given knowledge of it. So the next scripture I want you to read is Hebrews 13 and I want you to see. Something very beautiful here. I love this passage of scripture. It is so hopeful and it's encouraging. And I just want to magnify this God and his power to save. And the Bible tells us here in Hebrews 13 verse 20. Now the God of peace. Right after it says that the God of peace. It would kind of be like a parenthesis. And it describes this God. So here's the description of this God. This God of peace is descriptive in the fact that he brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. And so that's descriptive of God. So what is this God of peace going to do? This God of peace through the blood of the everlasting covenant can make you perfect in every good work to do his will. This God of peace through the blood of the everlasting covenant can work in you. He can work in you. That's grace. That which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The God of peace. This is what he does, the God of peace. The God of peace through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, and this new covenant is able to come and begin to work in your life, And He is able to make you perfect. He is able to make you pleasing in His sight. You can't do that, and I can't do that. But God does that, and we have to understand how much religion gets into this. You know, so like here's like some some guy coming to church today. This coach, somebody, I'm like, oh, you're here at church. It's so good to see you, boy. We're glad you're here. Thanks for coming. We pray you get a new life and meet Jesus today and join the church. And we've got all these programs for you in the church and this will change your life. We're so glad. And then let's come into the altar and let's pray and give your life to Jesus. And we're so glad you're here. And, and oh, our hope, man, boy, if they could get involved in the church. Their lives would be turned around. They'd just become new people, and everything would be wonderful, and so there they are. And then we want to be able to help them and coach them. Now look, you gotta get up every morning and you gotta pray. And you gotta read your Bible. Now Jesus wanted his disciples to pray an hour a day. So you need to pray an hour a day. And you need to read your Bible. You need to start tithing. That means you gotta give ten percent of everything you earn to the church. And then you gotta give offerings above that. And then you you gotta go witness it. And you gotta preach the gospel, and, and you gotta quit these things, you gotta quit drinking, you gotta quit smoking, you got you gotta now do you understand this is what's happened to you now, and this is what you gotta do. And 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 any person is gonna be as successful as that coat doing it. But that's what we think, and that's what we do, because we don't understand grace. And we think grace is this disposition of God. But did you see in Hebrews 13 that this God of peace through the blood of Jesus Christ, he will. And so it's it's as if God comes and takes this person and says, you know what? I'm going to put myself in you. And I'm going to wear you. And you're going to be on me now. And now it's the life. It's the life that's in you. It's the life that's in you. And and then all of a sudden, things begin to happen because this is inside, this is your natural self. And your natural self would be, well, you know, I'm going to go watch Everybody Loves Raymond. I'm going to go watch these movies. I'm going to go watch zombies. And I'm going to go, this is, whoa, 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 whoa. What's happening to me? What's happening? What does this pull on my life away from that? What is going on with me? There's somebody else now inside of this that's pulling me in another direction that's leading me into something else. I don't understand this. What in the world? My, my alarm clock didn't even go off and I woke up at 5.30 and I wanted to pray. I need a doctor. I mean, what in the world is going on? What is happening with me? Because grace came into you. Grace came inside you. Jeff and I were, we were with a bunch of people from the church, but he and I at one particular time in Nebraska, and, and we had our church out there, we had a big program out in the boulevards on an Indian reservation, and Jeff and I, are this, this guy drives up, he, he storms out of his car, and he's rough looking guy, I mean, this dude's built, and he's just rough, and well, we got to deal with him before somebody else does. So Jeff and I go up to him and say, hey, can we help you? Where's my wife? Well, I don't know. Who is she? We've got hundreds of people out on the boulevard. We've got things for kids, and we've got gospels being preached, and we've got basketball tournaments. Where's my wife? I, I don't know, but we'll help you find her. What are you doing out here? Why are you all out here? What is, we're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. This guy's cussing every other word. Blankety-blank, blankety-blank and And just say to him, "Sir, I perceive you're in a lot of pain." And um he begins to talk to us, and we he he was open with us, and we talked to him, and he said, "I'm a, a MMA fighter. I like to get in the cage and I like to fight, and I'm like, "Why?" <laughs> and he's like, "I want is this not true? I want pain. I want to be hurt." I love the pain and the punishment. It's not so much that I win, but I'm successful if I'm in a lot of pain. And I'm like, wow, you need Jesus. You need Jesus to heal your pains. And he never heard about Jesus. So Jeff and I are sharing the gospel with him. And his countenance begins to change. His demeanor begins to change. This guy's cussing every sentence. And all of a sudden, he's praying with us to give his heart to Jesus. Right there. Then he begins to talk to us. And as he begins to talk to us, he's kind of like, now he's just talking to us. He's a little bit more friendly. And, and, And these curse words come out. He's like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry. And then he's like, wait a minute, why am I sorry? I've never been sorry. And then he grabs it. What did you do to me? What did you do to me? Remember? Is that true? I mean, God stepped into this man's life. Grace stepped into this man's life and immediately began to deal with the words that he used. The church would come along and say, Oh, you gotta do this and you gotta do that and you gotta do this, and he would go try, and then he's gonna fail, and then he's gonna be one of those people that says, You know, I tried Jesus before, it didn't work for me. But grace works. Grace works, and God is able to do it. God is able to do it. The last scripture I want you to read with me is 1 Corinthians 15. And I love this passage of scripture. It's it's um What a hallmark of grace is this scripture. And I want you to read with me the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because this is the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, and I want you to see this with me. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach to you. Which also you have received. And wherein you stand. By which also you are saved if, that if is big, you keep in memory what I preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. You need to believe and you need to be a believer all the way through or you'll throw all of this away. So this is the gospel. This is the word that was preached by which you're saved and you stand in it. And he begins in verse 3. I deliver to you first of all that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he rose again the third day. According to the scriptures. And then it talks about there were witnesses of this. Peter 500 others at another time were witnesses of this. Then James the apostles. And then he was seen of me in verse 8. And he says in verse 9. I'm the least of apostles. I'm not even worthy of that title. But verse 10 continues with the gospel. So the gospel is verse 3 and 4 and 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. And this is the reason verse 10 is part of the gospel. Because he concludes it with verse 11. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so you believed. So this is the gospel. The testimony of the life of Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. And the grace of God which is able to save, sanctify, change a person's life. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the work of God through his son, Jesus Christ, and the work of that son, Jesus Christ, in the life of a believer on the basis of grace. To where a person is able to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. But notice something very carefully. Because he says here in verse 10, this grace can be received in vain. It can be. It's not automatic. There's a lot of Christians that are not living in victory. They're not living happy. They're not living joyful lives. There's problems in their life. There's bitterness they can't get past. There's unforgiveness they can't get over. There's a lot of Christians living like that. And it's not because God's grace can't do it. But it's because the grace of God that is bestowed to them is in vain. They're not doing anything with it. What did Paul say he did with it in verse 10? I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. I labored. God gave me grace and I labored in it. But I can't even say that I labored in it. It was actually the grace of God that was laboring through me. But I allowed it to happen and I did not reject it. I did not shun it and I did not distract myself. I gave myself to it completely. So when I was talking a minute ago about prayer and Bible reading and church going and tithing. Those things are important. They don't save you. But they are the means of grace. And I want you to understand that. If your attendance to prayer and Bible study and church going is a matter of works. In order to gain God's favor and make it to heaven. You're in trouble. But if you've come to understand that God in his grace wants to make me something. Something. That God wants to make me well-pleasing in his sight. And please give me just a moment. Let me define grace for you. Grace is the merciful kindness by which God, exerting his holy influence upon you, turns you to Christ, keeps you in Christ, strengthens you, increases you in the Christian faith, increases you in knowledge, increases you in affection, and kindles in you the exercise of the Christian virtues or the faith. And that's what the grace of God does. So I can I can be this you know kind of person. Says, oh, I believe in God. and I believe in Jesus, and we're all saved by grace. So I'm just going to say, Oh, Jesus saved me, and I want to go to heaven when I die. Don't bother me on earth, though, God. You know, uh, just give me the grace. Give me the give me the ticket, and we'll be. You no, know, that's a dangerous place to be in. A lot of people are doing that. It's very very dangerous. But the apostle Paul says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. But it, wasn't me, it was God's grace, but I labored in it. it wasn't in vain to me. So if grace is God exerting his holy influence on me, then I understand that church is a grace of God. I don't have to go. I don't have to go to prayer meetings on Sunday nights. I don't have to go to Bible studies. I don't have to go to Wednesday night. Somebody said, yeah, you do. You're the preacher. (laughs) But you understand my point. I don't have to do these things. And I don't have to have a victorious life either. And I don't have to be happy. And I don't have to have children who are walking in a healthy lifestyle with Jesus Christ. But I can't blame the grace of God for my failure. His grace was there, but I was not. And so now I'm not going to church in order to gain favor with God. I'm going to church because the Bible tells me that the church is the habitation of God by the Spirit. And if the church is the habitation of God, and I want grace, which is God's influence, I want to be in the church. I want to say, hey, y'all know who I am. Know what I'm going through. I've got some problems. I need your help. I need your counsel. I need your prayers. I need you to walk with me. I need to walk with you. This world is a wilderness. Please, I need the grace of God in my life and I want the influence of God that's in your life you don't have to do that and the Bible is a grace of God because this is the living word of God this is the truth of God it is the way of God it is the light of God and I don't have to read it I don't have to open it I don't have to study it I I can leave it on my coffee table I can leave it at church until the next service because I'm really not going to get to it Then the preacher will tell me what I need to know. But it's a grace of God, and if you're living a life that is below the the standard or the desire that God has for you, and you even know it's below the standard you really want to be living, you can't say it's grace's fault. It's there, but you're not. Or prayer, or worship, which are all graces of God, the communion with God. I don't have to pray. But if I believe in God's grace and his influence on my life, then I want to live in such a way that I'm always putting myself in a place where he can influence me. So I want to be in church. I want to be in the word. I want to pray. I want to worship. I want to be there because I want the influence of God on my life. And when I've sinned, man, I really want it. I really need it. When I'm under attack, I really need it. And as I grow up and I mature as a Christian, I begin to realize, wait a minute. I don't want the church just when I'm overwhelmed and under attack. I want the church before I ever get there so that when I get there, I've got prayer warriors around me. That's what I want. And that's what I desire to have in my life. So I just pray that you guys understand that there is a God of power. Who is merciful toward you. And he's gracious toward you. And his expectation. Is not from you. It's not that God is expecting you. To do something to help him. But what he is expecting you to do. Is to believe him. And when you believe him. God will engage you. And he will begin to influence your life. And as God begins to influence your life. Keep walking with him. Keep walking with him. Keep trusting him. God says, lay that down. And you say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you to lay this down. I'm going to trust you, God, to put this out of my life because this is not. And all of a sudden, there's power there to do what you could not do beforehand. God did it. God saves us. And then after we're saved, God saves us. And he keeps on saving us. And he keeps on loving us. And he keeps on sanctifying us. And beloved, there is a real hell and a real heaven. And the only way that you can make this is by the grace of God and the power of God in your life. It's the only way you can make it. The church cannot guarantee that for you. Your family, your friends cannot guarantee that for you. But a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is free to all who believe, Jesus can do it. I love parables. And I want to close with a parable. And parables are powerful ways to illustrate a truth. Jesus did it all the time. Jesus put things in nature so that he would be able to say, hey, do you see that? The kingdom of heaven is like that. You see that fig tree? The kingdom of heaven is like that fig tree. Hey, look at this mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And he would take that and he would give a parable about it and explain a beautiful, beautiful story. So I want to dim the lights. I've got a a, a thing I'm going to show Many of you have seen this before. I love it. And I want to show it to you again because I believe it is a beautiful parable. Wait before you run it. But just listen to me now. And if you've ever been still, be still now. And be respectful of people that are around you. If you have to go to the bathroom, just hold it if you can. Just really want this time to be holy. There is no body that is available to help you but Jesus Christ. He is the only one available and he's willing. And he, by his power, will perfect you and make you pleasing. And he will heal you and he will bind up your wounds and your broken hearts. And he will get you from the corruption of this world to the paradise of his home. He will do that. He is the good shepherd who leads you. You do not know the way. He is the way. And the reason I love this parable, and as i said, you've seen this many times, some of you. This is a story about a father and a son, particularly. And the son, before he was born, had a traumatic event with the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck, which prevented oxygen from getting into his brain which severely damaged him. And when he was born, he was a practical vegetable. He, was, he could not function. The doctors told the parents that he will probably live two weeks, if that much. He needs to be in a facility to care for him in case he lives a little bit longer. You're not able to take care of him. And we recommend that you put him in a hospital. The mother said to the doctors, I will take care of him. I will do whatever I have to do to take care of him. So they brought him home. And as he began to grow and he lived past the expected age. One day, his mother was cleaning the house. And while she was moving about in the living room, she noticed that his eyes were following her. He couldn't speak and he couldn't move, but his eyes started to move and she realized that there is communication there. And she was very excited about it. She started to communicate with her son. They started to do tests and ways that he would be able to communicate with them even more. And she began to label everything in her house A chair, a television, a cabinet, a refrigerator, the floor. She labeled everything so he could learn. And he learned. He was brilliant. They developed a device, some type of synthesizer that he would be able to. He couldn't play it with his hands. He couldn't play it with his body. But something that would be placed in his mouth. And through that he would be able to communicate more verbally with his parents and with his friends. And he grew up and they began to find out he's really brilliant. And so he graduated from high school. He went to Boston University and graduated from Boston University. After he graduated from Boston University, he was offered a job with the university to help perfect and develop devices to help those that were handicapped to communicate better. And that's what he began to do. While he was there, he had a friend on the lacrosse team. And the friend on the lacrosse team suffered an accident. He broke his neck. He was paralyzed from the neck down. Having sympathy, being handicapped himself, he wanted to help his friends. So they were going to design a marathon, a fundraiser for him. And so... He came home one day to his dad and he said to his dad that my friend and said his name that they knew is going to have a fundraiser to help him with medical expenses and we're going to do a marathon. And he said, Dad, I would like to run in it. Now bear in mind, he can't run. He can't walk. He can't push himself. He can't move. But he said to his dad, I'd like to run in it. His dad said, well, we will See what we can do, son. And from that point on, his dad, not wanting to fail, and before he gave him a promise that he would do it, and not being an athlete or a marathon runner himself, he filled up a wheelbarrow in his yard of about 120 pounds, and every day he would take that wheelbarrow and he would run through his neighborhood, pushing the wheelbarrow, To see if he was to enter this marathon with his son, if he could finish it. And so he trained and he trained and he trained. Until he finally came to the point where he was able to push that wheelbarrow of 120 pounds the distance of the marathon. And he told his son, we'll do it. Enter us into the marathon, we'll do it. And they ran the marathon, they finished it. In all, they ran 72 marathons, which I think is absolutely stunning is that they did six Ironman triathlons, which if you're not familiar with, there are three events in that particular order you have to do them. You swim two and a half miles. So in order for this to happen, they would have to put the sun in a raft And the father would swim with a rope attached to a raft. And he's pulling his son and the raft two and a half miles swimming. That's astounding to me. Once they're through with the swimming, they then are going into the cycling part of it. And they're going to cycle 112 miles And there's a special seat that's designed for the bike where the son will sit in the seat while the father does all of the work. And then after the cycling, they're going to run 26 miles all in one day. Back to back. And they did it. They did it six times. But what I love about this video is the endurance and the commitment that you see in the Father's face. Because really the beautiful person in this story is the Father. The Son gets the glory, but the Father did all the work. The Son gets the victory, but the Father won the race. And I pray that when you see this video, you will see that you're the handicapped person. You have nothing to offer God. You're not mighty. You're not great. You're not capable. But he is. And I pray that you will see that this Jesus, likewise, is committed to get you from here to his eternal home in heaven. Now remember, this boy went to his father. He didn't go to anyone else. And this boy had to put himself in his father's raft. And this boy had to put himself on his father's bicycle. And this boy had to put himself in his father's chair when they would run. This boy entrusted himself to his father. And his father got him there. And so you must entrust yourself to Jesus. And if you do, He will get you home because He loves you. There's a couple of scenes in this video where the Father is really in agony. And you can see it in His face. And in those few little scenes where His Father is in agony, picture Jesus being nailed to that cross determined I am going to do this for you I'm going to finish it so that you can win picture that it's quite beautiful how many of you right now would just say with all sincerity Jesus help me get home Get me home. Come on, just ask him. You can talk to him right now where you are. Don't allow the pain and the heartache and the abuse and all of the excuses to keep you from his mercy and his grace and his kindness. He loves you. The evidence of his mercy is not your life, but his life. And he will give you his life. Many of you would say this morning to Jesus, I trust you. Who else am I going to trust? Who else are you going to trust? Yourself? The church? Your own ideas? The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul wrote in Romans that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. His name is Jesus. If you call on him right now, he will hear you. He will hear you where you are. There's no place that you're in that he's scared of. There's no darkness that he's scared of. There's no sin that he's scared of. There's nothing about you that Jesus is scared of. Nothing. He can do it. If you will let him, if you will trust him, if you will put yourself in his raft, on his bicycle, in his seat... He will get you home. He's won the victory for you. And he's not like that father who's trying to push through the race. Jesus did it 2,000 years ago. He did it. It's over. It's done. It's won. And by an act of faith, you step into his world and into his kingdom. I can't explain that. But it happens. So I'm just going to pray with you. Father, I stand before you this morning consciously aware that I do need Jesus in my life. I don't have the strength to save myself or to make myself right with you. I trust Jesus and I ask you to save me. I turn from my way of life to you. I put my hope in you. Oh God, I put my hope in you. I hope in your mercy and I hope in your grace. And I ask you this morning to give me faith to believe it. Faith to live in it. This grace, I need it. I need you to do it. If I am to be saved, you must save me. I trust you. And beloved, if you mean that in your heart this morning, you pray that in faith this morning, Jesus hears you. He comes to you. He's right there. You can sense it. You can feel it. There's a hope in you. There's something in you that's hoping. That's Him. It's His presence. And He loves you. If somebody brought you to church today, just tell them. Would you pray with me? Just right here at this seat, would you just pray with me? you help me right now if you brought somebody to church maybe you would just like to ask them if they want help if they want prayer there's nothing offensive by that but I want you to know this morning that every one of you are loved and every one of you are offered grace in the name of Jesus Christ and the Lord is able to get you home portion.